We're not just consumers when we approach a worship space. And what you're going to see in this text is that there's a, there's a guy named the rich young ruler. That's his identity. And he uh, approached life to get stuff. It says that he was somebody who had great possessions. He lived to attain a bunch of things. And if we're not careful, we can, as human beings, assume that that ought to be our approach to something like God or to something like worship. And you can kind of see it in his question. He's like, well, what, are, what is the thing that I have to do to get eternal life? He's like, I just want, I want the thing without actually having some sort of connection with Jesus Christ, some sort of connection with God. Um, and the whole goal of life, you guys, is to get God. The whole goal of life is to commune with Jesus, to enjoy connection with him. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that really changed how I listened to sermons was becoming a preacher and I, from time to time, I get a chance to go to different uh, services where I'm not the preacher. And the thing that I'm always looking for since becoming a preacher as a, as a listener of a sermon is I want a connection with the speaker and God at the same time. I, I want there to be an experience where we all have together that God just showed up. And one of the things that really altered my, me and like made that drive even deeper is I got an opportunity to speak at this conference where there are a lot of non-Christians present from different parts of the world. And one of the campus ministers uh, at this conference said, hey, my students have like tons of questions about what you're saying and about the text that you're preaching from. And I was wondering if we could have an open dialogue, like in the middle of your sermon, where I receive questions via text, and I'll be the moderator, and then we can have a conversation uh, during the middle of your sermon. And here's what I learned, is that this, what I'm doing uh, is not just a monologue. It's a dialogue between y'all and me and God, that we're having a conversation together. And that you, in, in very many ways, you help preach the sermon. Do you know that? Like your attunement in your heart towards God, your openness to Him, actually is a conduit for the Holy Spirit to speak through the Word. So that when you actually engage in the text, when you engage in prayer, when you engage in listening, you are actually helping preach the gospel to yourself and back to me and to each other. And so when I read the text, know that you're involved in this. You are a preacher, whether you know it or not. You are a conduit for God. And so this is God's word to you this morning. This is from Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell Sell all that you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure 
in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful or sad, for he had great possessions. And Jesus, now turning to his disciples, he says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's, easy for, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, then, who can, who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, and I love, just think about that, the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. It's our practice here to sit in a moment of silence. There is so much in that text that we're not going to get to, but I'm going to focus on a particular aspect of it, uh, which is this concept of repentance and the joy that repentance can bring into your life. And so let's uh, sit in a moment of silence and ask God to show us himself together. Let's pray. Father, the freshness of a new year, the freshness of a new morning, even with your people here together sitting in one room, you have come to reveal yourself again. Like a sunrise each morning that's different and beautiful and new, um, Lord, you've given us each other, you've given us yourself, you've given us your Son. And we want to be open to you. We want to turn towards you. We want to be in alignment with you. And so teach our souls and our bodies what that means through this text. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us an experience of your presence in this room that is uh, not only memorable, but that it, cha- it changes us into resurrected beings that we would know that we participate in our future self that will live on forever right now. And so help us to tap into that by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So I think part of the point of this passage is that this rich guy wasn't really open to connecting with God, but he didn't know it. He wasn't conscious of that. He wasn't very interested in God, but he was interested in what God could give him, which in his mind was eternal life. Is how he asked it, and you can see it in verse 16. What good deed do I have to do to get the thing? What good deed do I have to do to get eternal life? And that was probably how he thought about life. I mean, he was a, he was a money guy. It was transactional for him. Christianity was transactional. It's like, I do this, and then I get the thing. But Jesus engages with him even in that process, in that thought process that he has. 
And he's like, okay, uh, don't murder. He basically summarized, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor. It's basically a summary of the second half of the law that pertains to how we operate in and among other people. And he says, when Jesus gives him that summary, like, I, I did all that stuff. <laughs> um, what do I still lack? And then in verse 21, Jesus says, well, if you would be perfect, go, sell all that you possess and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And it's always like Jesus does this thing a lot with people where, you know, they're, they're having this conversation. He does it with the woman at the well. And they think they're talking about one thing that's on the surface. And then it's like he ratchets it down. It's like, doo -doo, you know, this is what we're really going to talk about. What's going on in your heart? And the young, the young ruler, when he heard that, it says that he walked away from Jesus and he was sad because he had a lot of stuff. Now, what Jesus is doing is that he's showing that a person can actually do all the right things on the surface, and yet there's something internal that's going on in their heart that's actually keeping them from God. It's blocking their relationship with God, and they, they actually intuitively know it. And Scripture calls that a life of unrepentance. A person who's unwilling to adapt to Jesus' rule in their life. And we all do it. We all have a thing between us and God that kind of pulls at our heartstrings. And repentance is the practice of continually realigning yourself with the King. It's a continual, what I, what I would like to, this is the good evolution, the Christian evolution is the realignment of your soul back to God constantly because that is where the most flourishing life is with Him. It's being willing to adjust your life to your situation. And here's your situation. God is always present in your life and He always wants connection with you at all times. That he's always wanting to move towards you in grace and mercy and love. And I think that the human soul in, in our flesh is actually more afraid of that than judgment. Because we know that if God is that loving, it'll change us. We'll have to repent. We'll have to constantly realign because he's the king. And that way of eternal life can only be found in Jesus. This young ruler was looking for that in other means. He was looking for money to deliver what his heart soul really longed for. And it seemed like it was delivering on the surface. You know, he had a lot of stuff. He was a, you think about this guy as, um, he was invested in his time. Like he knew what was going on in his present moment. He, uh, he wins. This is a guy that wins at things, whether it's money or being better than other people. And uh, he knew the trends, and yet there's a clue in the text that he wasn't as full, as he, uh, full, full of life as he appeared. And you see it, and I, you know, I've read this story like tons and tons and tons of time, times, but in verse 22, this is the first time I've ever noticed it, that like 
if wealth really made him happy, if it really did, why did, when he walked away from Jesus, why was he sad? You ever thought about that? This is, this is like the, the thing that sin does. It's like we know, we know it's not going to make us happy, but we still go back to it. Like Peter says, it's like a dog returning to its vomit, you know, which is a very gross picture. But this is what he's doing. He's, he's like, I, I don't want to follow you, Jesus, but I also don't want to give up my money. So I guess I'm, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be sorrowful as I walk away from you. Um, and that can sound like... Uh, very, very depressing, but what was offered to him was eternal life in a person, which came through repentance, which came through turning back towards Jesus. And repentance is not actually something that you do. Uh, it's, it's the opposite of like doing an act. And here, here's what I mean. Jesus' disciples were living with totally different objectives than this rich man. Um, they had given up everything to follow him. And Jesus, from that rich man, turns to his disciples. And what I want you to see is that he begins to minister to his disciples in this moment. And he says, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom and when he said this, look at, the, look at your text. His, his disciples were greatly alarmed. They were astonished. And the reason why is because they in some ways saw themselves in this rich language. Because they're like, well, then who can be saved? They, they saw themselves as being like, well, that would, in, that would include us. We're like the camel, you know, trying to go through the eye of the needle and then in verse 26, and the English doesn't bring this out, but in the Greek it says, and I love this, and I want you to imagine this, that Jesus turned and gazed intently at his disciples' faces. And he said, after they asked, who can be saved? He's looking at their face, and he said, with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, this is what happens to the human being. This is the thing we simultaneously desperately want and we desperately avoid at the same time. We desperately want for God to be that type of God in our lives and we desperately avoid it at the same time. This is why we have impossible prayer requests. To remind us to ask for things that are way beyond what we can control. That's, that's the posture of what it means to be a human being. It's the posture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And you can see what's at stake for this rich man. And you need to see what's at stake for us. We all do. This young ruler was using money to avoid relying completely on God. And we all have that thing that stands between us and God that we think that's going to make life more livable or more possible. And I want you to think about right now, what is that for you? What is the, what is the thing that, that stands in between you and the Lord that you know 
is helping you not rely on him. Know what I mean? That you kind of instinctively go to to deliver you, to make life more livable. Now, what does this have to do uh, with the first day of 2023? Um, we want Redeemer, we've always wanted this from the beginning, before I was even here. We've always wanted Redeemer to be full of both religious and non-religious people constantly being changed by the gospel. Constantly. That non-religious people or non-Christians need the same thing as Christians. They need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ. And we constantly forget that. And Jesus constantly pursues And therefore, constant repentance is our perpetual resolution. A daily resolution, a yearly resolution. That repentance isn't like a chore. It's the gift. It's the gift given to us by God that we just sing about to turn to God and say, I need mercy because I can't change myself. (laughs) That thing that stands in between me and you, Lord, I will go to it 100% of the time unless you change me. My willpower can't do it. I need a different heart. I need different instincts. I need, I, I need different everything. That's when Jesus loves to swoop in. So that's why I came. Now, the reason why many of our, this is the time when like people make resolutions, you know, I try to pick up bad habits so I can feel good about like stopping them at the new year. Um, but the, re- the reason why most New Year's resolutions don't stick, but I bet we could do it for like one day. You know, this week is like the greatest for resolutions, right? But the reasons why most of them don't stick is because they focus on this sort of behavioral modification level and they don't go down deep into the root. And here's the root. Here's the root, for instance, with this guy. This guy could have turned to God and said, I have been like a beast towards you, Lord. I have gone in the opposite direction of you. This rich guy wanted to know what to do to become a better person, to get the thing. And he said from his mouth that he wanted like clear guidance on how to live this out. But then Jesus gave a different type of clarity that he really didn't want to hear, which was that he loved money more than God. He loved it more than God. And this is, you know, this is where people get super confused about Christianity. You think if you go down that route, you're like, uh, that's not good. Um, You have to go down there. You have to go and sit into the bread. If this guy would have sat in that brokenness, he would have found eternal life. Because he would have shifted his focus away from how broken he was and cried out for mercy. You guys know this. You, you guys know. How do you convince somebody that you love them when they won't believe you? When they refuse to believe you? There's only one possible way for a human to do that with another human. It's to wait for that person to come to the end of themselves where they are completely at rock bottom and you look at them and you say, nothing has changed. 
I still love you. At your very worst, I still love you. Now, when a person takes that into the center of their heart, that that's how God is towards you. We all know this, that true love in its end is unconditional. That's what changes a person. That when that gets poured out into a person, as Titus says, it becomes regenerative for a soul, for the human soul. I love this text because, you know, it... Um, it's like the, the disciples are, are nervous and Jesus is bringing comfort to them and this rich guy is like confident and Jesus is making him uncomfortable. And this is sort of how, like when spiritual disciplines, and I, and I am going to, I hope that this sermon at the end is, is going to be super, super practical, but this is how spiritual disciplines, disciplines can, can change. Uh, when you begin to pray, you read scripture, you discipline yourself, because you have actually found God to be that kind and you want to be close to Him. Not to make yourself better. You just want to be near Him. And when you're in submission to Jesus the King in that way, um, a whole new world opens up to you. You know, like Aladdin on the carpet, right? Um, and I'm kind of serious about that, by the way. Uh, in verse 28, that word... New world, it's this Greek term called the palingenesia. And it's what we've been talking about this whole season in the life of our church, the kingdom of God. But I, want, I like the way Jesus says it here. Um, the, the new world is your true home. It's where you actually ultimately belong. And when you get a taste of it, when you see that that's your future, this is what happens with stuff like spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible. This becomes your guide to your future. And it, it becomes fun, not like a bore. That's when, you know, you, get, you begin to get creative with God and generative. You begin to play. But how you get to that point is through repentance. And repentance is taking a very deep look at your sin and then being willing and open to change, even if you don't feel it in the moment. I tell you one small way it happened for me when I was in seminary. Seminary is a school you go to to become a pastor. Um, I remember thinking, uh, I just I would always sit down, and I was always told by people like, "You, you really need to give yourself to the Psalms if you're going to be a pastor." And I, so I kept reading the Psalms in seminary, and I finally just got really honest with myself and with God, and I was like, "God, like I don't understand this, and I don't really like it." Because it's like a bunch of poetry and the, these people are talking about like smashing people on the head and it's just like, I don't get it. Um, or like how much they love God and I'm just like, that ain't me. Um, and so I, I told God, I was like, I'm not going to read it anymore because it ain't doing anything for me. And then, you know what happened? I became a pastor. And being a pastor is so beyond what is humanly possible to do. It is so challenging. It is so difficult that God, y'all drove me to the Psalms. <laughs> and I wouldn't change it for the world. Because now when I read the Psalms, I'm like, they, they get me. And I can express myself. And, I get, and it's like so, so nourishing. And so here, here's, 
you know, you, you may be in a place right now where you're like, I, I, don't, I, don't, even like, I don't even like reading Scripture, and I don't understand it. Um, many people think that if, if you're not kind of instinctually inclined towards Bible reading or prayer or being disciplined, that you wouldn't like Christianity. And I always want to say, like, that's the first prerequisite to becoming a Christian is that you see your lack. Because I, I always want to be like, you know, how do you, how do you know what you're going to be like in 10 years? You don't know what's going to happen in your life. You don't know what God's going to do in your life. Just because you're not feeling something now in the current moment doesn't mean you won't feel it later. If you just think about, you know, um, your nutrition habits when you were a little ch child and how they've changed for most of us, right? <laughs> Jesus is constantly getting us to try and imagine an alternate reality instead of being fixated on what is right here and right now and exactly what I feel in this present moment. And Peter is uh, he's trying to work with Jesus, and he's like, well, Jesus, what about all these things that we have sacrificed to follow you? And Jesus is like, I got you. Anything you give up on earth, anything, you will receive. It says in our text, a hundredfold. But in the original, it just says many, 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 many times more than what you gave up. Um, the uh, professional former professional basketball player Shaquille O'Neal uh, said that when he first got into the NBA, he was given some sort of um, wise counsel on how to think about money. And he said, this older guy came up to him, he's like, I see that you're rich, but you're not wealthy. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you take your money and you, fold, you, know, you divide it in half and you put the half away and you save the other half. And then you take that half that you have and then you divide that in half and then you live on a fourth of what you have. And he said, if you do that, your children's children will never even have to think about money. He's like, that's, that's a wealthy person instead of a rich person. It's the idea of an inheritance. You know, at some point, if you make it through to your midlife or to later on in life, you'll, you'll look up and you're like, well, what's next? Well, what's next on this earth is that what you accumulated here on earth will go to the ones that you love most. And Jesus says that spirituality works in the same way as an inheritance. That if you stock up on what is important to God, it will require great sacrifices in the present. That you may, and I want us to take this seriously, you may have to give your money, all your money to the poor. I know we think that that's like hyperbolic, but have you ever considered that? Really? You may have to live on only a fourth of what's available to you. That's, what, that's where Peter's at. He's like, look, I've given up my home. I've given up my culture. I've given up my everything that was coming, coming to me, Jesus, I gave it up to follow you. And so, so what, what, what am I getting? And, and Jesus says, the new world. That any, anything you give up, you get so much more in the future. Now, I want us to think about this as we remember 2022 right now. I want us to do this together. And as we think about 2023, 
You know, the, the new year is a great time to meta-think. You know what I mean by meta-think? You look at your life from a 30,000-foot view and you ask questions like, where have, where, where have we been? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where do I want to go? As part of the task of the elders and the staff here at Redeemer to ask those questions of our community and we say, where have we been? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where do we want to go? And here's, here's one thing I think I want, I want us all to celebrate, and this is an in-house discussion, and so if you're new, I'm sorry, okay? But one of the things that you need to celebrate, that we all need to celebrate right now, is that we had an opportunity to purchase another property. And we were hindered from that, from things that were con- completely out of our control. But here's what I saw in you as a congregation, and here's the beautiful eternal thing, is that you all said, almost with a unanimous voice, Lord, we don't know what's ahead of us, but we are willing and open to walking through this door. And we believe that you're with us. You all said that together. In a post-COVID world, with a unanimous voice, don't overlook that. That, to me, as your pastor, is far more valuable than a, than a better building. That's eternal. That you, you, you should, we shifted as a community and we said, God, we don't know, but we're open. We're open to wherever you might lead. You did the same, you did the same thing when you, when you installed three new elders in this church. You were led by God with almost a unanimous voice. Now, here's, here's what I think Jesus is looking for in us as a community. I think he wants communally a heart disposition towards God that says, God, wherever you lead, however you lead, however you want to get, get us there, we are open to you. We are your servants. We are your disciples. Now, I want to give you four specific ways by way of application. And um, as I give the, it's so, it's so very easy when um, somebody talks about their spiritual practices to feel guilty when somebody's describing it. Please don't let yourself do that. I'm, I'm telling you four specific things, and I want you to adapt it into your own life in a way that works for you, Okay. But the four, the four ways that we can embody this posture in the world where we are open to God, and these are things, some of them will be very familiar to you, is prayer, scripture, play, and service. P.S. P.S. Okay? Prayer, scripture, play, and service. So prayer in 2023. Would you commit yourself to praying in 2023? There may be no other word that brings up more guilt in a person than that word, right? Prayer. Who prays enough? Nobody. Um, I love how our children's catechism puts it. Um, prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. Prayer is what you do with your safest friend when you are venting. Okay? Prayer is uh, expressing excitement with another person when you are watching a game. 
I have often said that the new uh, prayer before a meal for a millennial is taking an Instagram picture and being thankful, you know. Um, but he, here's, here's my encouragement to, to you all. As you think about 2023, you're going to experience all sorts of things. Good stuff, bad stuff, joy, sorrow. Christianity teaches that to get the most out of life, to healthily process your emotions is that when you experience all things each day, you turn towards God and you, and you say to God, in silence or with the help of other people, you say to God, God, this is what happened to me today. This is what I'm feeling. I want you to be in that with me. I want you to sit in that with me. To have, a, to have a daily rhythm and practice of actually stopping and saying, God, be with me. Feel things with me. That's prayer. It's what gives you the stamina to participate in the new world. It's akin to exercise for the athlete. Gives you the ability to play. Two, Scripture um, would you commit? Would you commit to reading through the Bible this year? My, uh, I was encouraged to do this by somebody who wasn't a pastor, and I was a pastor. I'm supposed to be encouraging him. He's like, you know, I, I started doing this with my dad about seven or eight years ago. And he's like, Matt, will you do this with me this year? And he's like, I bet if you do it, you'll never stop. And he was right. What, one of the things that Scripture does, y'all, is, um, you know, there's, I've used this example before, but it's like this. You know, in the ancient time, they used to use these baskets that, that were woven together. And the more you dipped it in the water, the weave would thicken so that the basket would become a bowl. And it, it could hold water. And you could see, you know, your reflection. I think that's how Scripture functions, that like if you don't understand it, if you don't understand large portions of it, if you keep going back to it, what begins to happen is you begin to see it can hold what you need to see, which is the face of Jesus Christ, which is you. You're growing up into His image so that you simultaneously see God and you see yourself and you become more who you are through it. That's when it becomes exciting. That's when it becomes not just like something you have to do. It's like, this is, this is where I am. This is where I belong. Scripture, would you commit to reading through it for a year? Um, our elders, many in the staff, can, can lead you in directions with, with apps that can walk you through the Bible in a year. We would read through the Bible with you if you want. Um, also, one of the great apps that I've been using it's called uh, Lectio 365, and it's just such a great way to get in Scripture and to get in prayer. The third thing is uh, play, and this is more than entertainment or distracting yourself, but this, is, this could require mental or physical exertion, but would you commit to giving your, yourself over to things that, that bring you absolute delight? It can be anything. Uh, it can be cooking, it can be hiking, it can be fishing, gaming. Don't overthink it, but you, you just answer the question for yourself right now. What is it that you know if you do it, 
your soul and your body are full. I'm not talking about like binging out on Netflix. I'm talking about what, what do you love to do? What do you love? And you know it's nourishing. Would you commit to doing that intentionally? So much of us, when life gets stressful, when we get sw- squeezed, we, that's the first thing that goes is restful leisure activity. And when that happens, y'all, this is why this is so important to give yourself over to creative play. When you get stressed out, you shift over into like survival mode and fear. And God doesn't want you operating like that. The reason why is because you won't be in survival mode in the new world. Nor will there ever be anything to fear. And so when you give yourself over to the things that you love, you are participating in your eternal reality. You are participating in the play that says, God, I'm going to enjoy the good things that you've given me. And I'm going to be free to do it. Would you, would you commit to being that level of engaged with what you love? And the reason why we do this is not just so that we can be self-focused or happy, um, but when we give ourselves over to the things that we enjoy, it makes us full and ready to serve others and move out into a world of brokenness and offer restoration and healing to individuals, to systems, many times through our own repentance. When you do these things, prayer, scripture, and play, you, you are poised then to move out into a world and say, how can I help? How have I harmed? How can I repent and serve? The early church, that y'all, they would literally, in, in Rome, they would literally go and rescue babies that were thrown into the trash. And they would say, we want all that the world discards. They would go into the lives of prostitutes and demand that women be treated with equality. And little boys. They would do that. They would, they would be joyful in the face of death. Even today, almost all the hospitals, they're named after Christians, churches. This is what we do, y'all. We serve. The church preserves and serves anyone and everyone unconditionally. That's our role. (laughs) Let's ask God as a church to give us focus on where he would want us to serve in this year. Let's maybe ask that in our impossible prayer request. Show us, Lord. So, look, these are four ways that we can start. Prayer, scripture, play, service, not simply to do better, but as a way to remember who we truly are and to be Christ's body in the world. And, you know, instead of spending all of our resources on ourselves, if, if you see a lot of yourself in the rich young ruler, it's not, it's not rocket science. Um, begin to give some of your stuff away to people who need it, you know. And what we'll find in that process is that we've been looking for Jesus and all this stuff to begin with. And we remember that we, we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to God and to each other. And we don't have to walk away from him sad. We get to repent. And we can be a community that resolves to repent daily and turn back to him daily. And so that's what I want our New Year's resolution to be. Repentance. 
because that is where the joy is. Let's pray, and as we, uh, as we continue to worship, I'm actually going to lead us in confession and assurance, and then uh, Thomas is going to come, come and help me with the table. So let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have led us into uh, an experience of, of you, and as we get to confess sin and hear the assurance of grace and forgiveness that you speak into our lives, that you would remind us, Lord, of who we are, that you have called us into a life of regeneration, of being born into that new world in which we can participate in that reality right here and now. And so we do this with joy, Lord. We do this uh, not sad like this rich young ruler. We do this with anticipation and saying, Lord, um, show us. Show us what, where we can go and show us what we can give. In Christ's name, amen.